From Post Media, I'm Ewan Plater and this is XY, a show about mental health in men. On today's episode, I'll be joined by singer and guitarist James McVeigh of globally renowned band The Vamps. Since launching, The Vamps have gone on to global fame, five UK top tens and a host of worldwide tours. Me and James caught up the day before he actually set off on tour, so I was super grateful he found the time to sit down with me. Our chat came really easily. As far as men go, he's a total inspiration in terms of how open and transparent he is. Not just about the issues he's faced, but also the ones society is facing as a whole. We covered off a lot during the interview, discussing what it was like when the band formed and how that felt, all the way to toxic masculinity in the world today, and particularly his relationship with food. Not just his experiences, but also how the media have portrayed it. We actually caught up outside of the studio, so rather appropriately, given that James is a musician, you can consider this a live and unplugged interview. Like with every interview on the XY show, today is not to be taken as advice. This is just a conversation between two people and should be treated as such. If you are looking for some support, I've left the details of some great organisations in the show notes, including those of Time to Change. And as always, I wanted to draw attention to their Ask Twice campaign. Sometimes we say we're fine when we're really not. A simple, are you sure you're okay, can make all the difference. Anyway, let's get on with the show. Okay, so James, thanks so much for um, joining us in the, the makeshift studio thanks today. Thanks for having me. Thank yeah, I no. see your suitcase is here. It's like you've moved in permanently. <laughs> yeah, um, I am off to Porto tomorrow. so I can Really? Maybe, yeah, yeah, I could just take that with very me. Very nice, very nice indeed. Anyway, so we're here to chat about mental health in men. I know it's a topic that you're super passionate about. It's one that you've spoken about a lot before. Um, but where I kind of wanted to start um, was to chat a little bit about where you started. So your career in music. Yeah, from- and that journey that you've been on up until today. Yeah. So uh, for people listening that might, may have heard of the band The Vamps, but not more than that, um, I uh, grew up in Dorset on the South Coast and started doing songs when I was probably 11 or 12. I was that era. I think I was the last generation where music channels on TV was like a real thing. Yeah. And I MTV remember boom. MTV and kind of like, what was it, that Saturday morning one and and all like whatever what uh, cd uk and all that stuff so so that was like my time and um and I, i'd go around my mate's house my friend adam and we'd watch like just video after video of like busted and they had that yeah. song what i go to school for and like and we were at school and we we're like oh, this is sick that was a real generational um, thing wasn't that, it? yeah that, like, so, so that was that was that that magic moment just before social media kind of took over everyone's life um so it was it was hours and hours of me with a guitar watching tv trying to replicate what they were doing on on the screen and obviously I wasn't playing anything close to what they were playing but I kind of had that like magic there because yeah. it was at that time as I say just before social media well, I feel social media is tremendous but it kind of for me I've realized social media encourages us to all believe we can do anything we want to which I think is great but there was sort of that magic moment with me and my guitar where I didn't have anyone saying you can definitely do this and it was like I had this weird connection with like the bands on screen and me in my bedroom and, and there was no one else kind of contributing and I was sat there like and it was all about in my head picturing where I could potentially be in 20 years yeah. as opposed to going on Twitter and seeing millions of people doing covers and all that I was it was very kind of insular at that moment and I think so quite personal to you then it very, very personal like, yeah, yeah. yeah and 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 it was yeah it was bands like busted or then like there was a band called Good Charlotte who were like an American band Love and being, yeah being like 11 year old kid from Dorset um, seeing these like guys with like massive hair and tattoos and piercing, like for me that was like the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Um, you wanted the slice of that, yeah, absolutely. Um, so fr- from there, I kind of started writing songs, um, and I was lucky 
um, and hindered by the music scene in Dorset, meaning that it was quite easy to, to, I suppose, jam with people and you might be able to go to like one or two little pubs and, and beg someone to let you play at an open mic night or something or a youth club. But once you kind of done that small circuit, you were kind of stuck. There wasn't as much. Uh, there wasn't really a scene. Yeah, access. To no, give. no. And it was the, the kind of predominant genre there was kind of folk acoustic. Yeah. Um, I'm loving. I, I slightly moved on from, from that pop punk era to, to folks. So Damien Rice, for example, was, was a massive influence on me. Yeah. So that was very relevant in Dorset at the time because you could go to a pub and someone would be playing a cover of Cannonball or something or Nine yeah. Crimes. And that was sick. But there's one thing doing that, you know, maybe making 50 quid. And for like a 15-year-old kid, like 50 quid was like amazing. Yeah. Great. But actually wanting to ramp it up and do it for a career and be on the, the TV shows that I, I was watching at home on the weekend, Dorset was sort of that, that what, for the ladder that I needed to climb, Dorset was very much at the very bottom of that. And I realized that I needed to try and do more than just the pub gigs in order to yeah. to persevere um and i was very lucky that i despite having i don't know what you you've heard me say but i i had quite a lot of kind of negativity towards my songwriting at school yeah because i was trying to replicate these guys i'd see on tv that had you know all the spiky hair like i had i had like flash holes and and I'd wear really skinny jeans and I'd wear the, you know, those belts with the spikes on and all that stuff. I think we all had the we all had that stage well, that were the checkered black and Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But the kids at my school that did that were few and far between because the people at my school that were the popular ones, in inverted commas, yeah. were the rugby players, the football players. And, and, and I... Probably were, also listening to the Bustards and the Good Charlotte. Oh, they, they absolutely yeah. were. Um, and it's funny now actually speaking to those guys. But, but back then I got quite a lot of yeah like stick for doing it and um and I think it was that weird age so I'd moved slightly forward from 12 I was probably 14 15 and it was that bizarre age of figuring out who we all were um and the stresses of dealing with puberty etc and and I think it's difficult for both boys and girls but especially boys trying to figure out who they are and it's that weird process between being a boy and a man and I was being quite vocal about my emotions and, and liking girls and all and and it was, it was bizarre in comparison to everyone else at school because no one was doing that. And I think being so openly emotional then was alien to most of the people. And the only way they knew how to process that was to say it was rubbish and yeah. call me gay and all this stuff. So I had quite a difficult time at school doing that. And I was very close to kind of packing it in because I'd played the same pubs for a couple of years. I was getting a lot of stuff on MySpace, like negativity from people from other schools and all this stuff. And I thought, well, what's the point? And then kind of out of nowhere, I had a message on my MySpace page from my manager that manages me now. And he said, I, I managed McFly and Busted, which bear in mind, they were the, the the Busted was the band that that was my everything. Like when I was 12, 11, I helped put them together with, with, um, with James, um, James from Busted was like the first one. Help put that together. Um, do you want to do the same? And like that moment for me, it kind of like all the the rubbish that I'd had to deal with that I kind of suppressed kind of didn't matter because I was like, actually like, it's like a ticket kind of out of Dorset. And I was invited to London to, and bear in mind, I was, I was 16 yeah. probably at this point. I was invited to London on my own to meet some guy I'd never met in a hotel room. Um, and, and, I, and I went on my, you know, on my own. My, pa- my parents came, actually, uh, I, I was quite adamant that I'm going to do this for myself. I need to step outside my comfort zone and do it. So my parents 
they drove me to to London, but then I did the last little bit on my own, and I went to the hotel on my own. And so my parents were there in case anything weird. And was that happened. on purpose? Was that you wanted to do it? I on want, your own yeah, way? yeah. And I, and I think, yeah, I think it was because I'd been like dying for these opportunity or this yeah. opportunity forever. I, I I was lucky that I had had a few little things in Dorset. I'd been I'd supported a couple of people, but it was kind of that era still of. Yeah, you can support us, but you have to pay for 50 tickets. And then if you sell them, then that's great. But if you don't, yeah. then it's your money. Pay so I've gone, kind of gone from that to then this guy saying, I'll pay for, for a hotel room for you for the night, all food included, everything. So that like contrast was massive. And I thought, right, I want to make the best impression I possibly can. Um, so let's do it. And it was just so, it was like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders because in that moment I could disconnect and detach myself from the people that had sort of been like trying to bring me down and endorse it. Yeah to have fresh start in London. It was know. a bit of a validation moment for you. Yeah. Where, and actually, I think that's really important because you said that you were pretty close to giving music up yeah. just because of the amount of stick that you were getting. <clears throat> and then having that validation moment of someone saying, you know what, this is really great music that you're writing. We want to do something with it. That must have um, pushed all that doubt and anxiety to the back of the mind and allowed you to refocus on why you were doing it in the first place, which I think is a super key bit to your story because you could have chucked it you know mm, and yeah. you've would chucked it for the wrong reasons because you were getting you were getting hassle over it and yeah stuff. it's weird because songwriting is and i suppose if i can call songwriting an art you put yourself in quite a vulnerable position to be vocal about things that most people wouldn't normally speak about mm-hmm. so fancying a girl or something like at school or yeah. whatever so doing that i was already kind of it was like I was balancing. Whenever I put a song on my MySpace or something, I'd be like, how's it going to go? And it's not like I had like thousands of fans waiting for it, but like the reality is I was giving a piece of myself to, to, to anyone that wanted to yeah. listen. And that was, always, that was always really, really scary and already put me in a really weird, uncomfortable position. So then when people would say like, I mean, there'd be people that would be like really supportive, but then it all it would take is like one or two guys that I felt physically threatened by in massive like muscly rugby players to be like your shit blah 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 that really like knocked my confidence um so to have someone to come along and say actually like i i really like this song i like that song let's do it it it, as you say it did validate it and it made me think actually like it i was right to be put myself in that vulnerable position for for that time i guess and i think that's that is the thing is that pursuing what you're passionate about should be easy you mm-hmm. know you shouldn't have people around you that are pushing you back and um it's a shame that so many people normally kids like who yeah. are, are discovering what they're passionate about in life and discovering themselves do face that kind of naysaying attitude um i think around the topic of anxiety in particular i've got this question in my head around joining the band as you've said addressed a whole bunch of doubts you had and it kind of yeah. validated where you'd been and where you wanted to go but You've been on tour since you were 18, I believe, mm, yeah. um, or been touring since you yeah, were 18. Yeah. And I guess that comes with its own whole host of stresses and pressures. So as much as becoming um, a musician full time and pursuing your career helped you overcome problems, what was that like being, because I mean, 18, you're legally adult, but when I think back to when I was 18, I was a kid. So what was that like growing up? Um, and maturing in that environment because you did really jump to stardom pretty quick what was that um, that journey like it it was strange because I was the oldest of the band at 18 and the youngest Connor was well he's 15 when we met him and 16 when we went on tour and because I was the first vamp as it were I kind of I I enjoyed it but 
I was kind of put in that authoritative role, meaning that I was kind yeah. of a leader in the early days. I mean, because I was 18, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I think without recognizing, you know, in, in many ways, I, I, you know, I enjoyed it. I, I'm the sort of person that likes kind of um, having a routine, being on time, whatever. Yeah. But actually that, I think without realizing that did play on me a bit. And I recognized that I put a lot of um, unnecessary stress on myself. That kind of patriarch figure of the group. Kind, kind of. Yeah. Um, and, and on a personal level, it was lovely to, to know that, you know, the guys, I, we were there for each other and stuff. But I think it went deeper uh, than that for me. And I, nothing that the guys did contribute to this, but I personally would feel like I'm letting everyone down if, you know, something didn't happen if someone was late or something. Yeah. So I think, I think it was great, but th so that, that's one thing that's point A, but then at the same time, the vamps were very lucky that things worked. And I think yeah. uh, again, the contrast from what I was doing, playing the pubs and then doing the odd song on MySpace to then the first song we released went to number two straight away. And like Bruno Mars wrote the chorus and like out of nowhere, we were nothing to then something literally overnight and yeah. behind the scenes yes we'd been writing for a couple months before but we started by putting stuff on youtube and when i used to put stuff on youtube when i was 15 it might get a thousand views which for yeah. me i thought that's amazing yeah. but you know like our first few videos would get like four hundred thousand views in like a couple of weeks yeah. and i don't think i realize or realized until quite recently how much that jump affected me because it, it's a dream come true obviously but when everything just works and you have you know your first song is great the first tour sold out in an hour second tour we put on sale during the first tour and that was 202s and we sold that out in like the first morning bloody hell and the album went to number two and we our first four singles went top three and all all this stuff it, it kind of like everything um was a positive so you know it'd be like an upwards trend of success maybe on a graph but that upwards trend for me sadly was it was just like a straight line because we were very used to things just happening yeah. and it sounds very ungrateful now saying that but at the time it was almost clinical because it was expected that you know after we had that the first time that our song came out we were like over the moon blown away incredible but because things just kept happening and happening it did kind of just turn into it normality norm. which is yeah. really weird to say and now looking back it, it does seem it's a real shame and it feels like i took it for granted but when that is just life that is you almost begin coasting on on the realization that things are just going to work so then when things don't perhaps work so for example our record label in america we signed to them and we were just about to release and then they split in half and there was a massive um massive parting of ways with with two record labels it was called island death jam and now it's island and death jam but we lost our whole team in the course of a weekend really because they split and so the whole campaign that we were uh looking forward to releasing just crumbled basically and i think having that knock there when you're so used to everything working a little knock like that we, you know we were still able to tour around the rest of the world but because that was one little thing that actually didn't go the way that we thought it was quite a massive crash for me mentally because we were like oh it's not, you know, it's not what we're not we used to. This, yeah, 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 and and I think things like that just began playing on my mind, and and the problem that I had is because the tour selling out was the norm and and just to be expected. When I was on stage, I wasn't really enjoying it, which sounds so sad because now when we when we tour, I look at the faces in the crowd and I'm like, it's amazing that these yeah. people have come to the gig, and like I feel like a genuine 
really strong connection to, to everyone in the crowd now. Um, and it's, it's amazing. But at that time when I was 19, well, 18, 19, it was, it didn't mean anything to me, which sounds really weird because all my life I'd wanted to play to bigger crowds. I've been playing in pubs and whatever. And, and it's funny back then I, I'd do like two hour sets and sing as many songs as they want. And I'd try and learn a song for someone in the crowd. You were but grafting I, for it. You I, really yeah. And, and I loved there. it and I was passionate for it. But then on that, on that, we did, we did a couple tours, um, in, in a couple of years by the third tour, I was on stage thinking about doing our kitchen up or, or yeah, it became mundane and soulless for me. And I realized that I was struggling to process how I was feeling. And I think harboring those feelings of negativity really weighed down on me and it escalated to the point that I was like, yeah, really, this is, this isn't what I want to be doing. Um, and I wanted to feel, because I think that's super interesting and it's really telling of social media, especially as a whole Mm. today, where you look at these celebrities and these stars who are living what you believe to be your own dream. Mm. So you just think they're happy all the time and all the rest of it. But at some level, as you say, it must normalize out. It becomes the day to day and it can be a good day or a bad day like anything else. In the music industry, um and many industries you're always encouraged to strive for more for greater and better so it's like yeah you sold that 202s but let's do three next year and yeah and all that and i think when you do that you i mean you have to because you have you hit the ground running and when you have um sort of like glimpses of of success you have to grab them and and run with it Mm -hmm. but when you have that and you don't appreciate what you're doing in the moment it you forget about it a week later yeah like i couldn't I I find you know I see pictures I'm tagged in from years ago and where we've won like an award or or done a gig somewhere and I can't remember any of it and it's it's almost like a dream that that just happened and it's gone yeah and you don't if you can't if you don't stop you, and look yeah, at it and yeah. take stock and and you're encouraged to just move fast through that because you're always on to the next show or on the next plane or releasing the next song and I think I think now it's why we we didn't do an album this year because we want to take a step back and actually appreciate what we're doing. And I think there was that pressure perhaps at the time, as you say, to, to um, just be like, yeah, we've made it and stuff. And because that, because you see, it's really funny, actually. I I remember seeing things like back in the day when you'd see these videos on YouTube and it's like celebrities breaking down, celebrities being rude to paparazzi. And I've always been like, why are you doing that? Like you've made it, like you're happy. You make shit loads of money. Like just, Give them your time. Why are you whatever. kicking off? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, but then when I was in that moment and I was like, I was just, I was just rude to everyone. And I was, I was kind of really just, I don't know. I wasn't there. I definitely wasn't the same boy from Dorset. And I, and I realized actually I get why, why Justin Bieber didn't have a picture with that person because yeah. he obviously felt like shit at that. And it's just like, he just didn't fancy a camera. And, in his and, and it's really, really weird because, because now I've kind of come full circle with it though now, because now I'm like, I'm out of that weird dark space where i'm like no like these are normal normal people they 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 love your music or or they or they saw you in the jungle and they just want to have a chat and and we're just people yeah and now i really really appreciate it again but in that moment i i i was quite backwards with how i thought about things um and i think there was that real pressure to be like yes everything's great it's perfect and i think that's a symbol of of men in general we have to just be like get on with it yeah just crack on do you think there's something because there's a real common theme for me in everything you've said all the way from school up to touring but maybe not feeling your best Mm. is that outward validation 
um, can only take you so far, you know, like mm-hmm. you actually personally and as an individual need to love what you're doing and be Absolutely. happy in yourself. Absolutely. Because um, I've experienced a similar thing where when I first moved to London, me and my best friend moved down very similar time and we did it naively and arrogantly mm. with this intention of streets are paved with gold, we're going to come down, yeah. get big jobs, be big tickets. Yeah. And then you would get the job that you wanted and for a few months you would feel top of the world about it. Mm. And then you would get bored again and mm-hmm. you start looking for the next big job with the next big salary. Yeah, yeah. And at some point, you know, I just had to sit down and go, this isn't right. You know, I can't just keep chasing the next Absolutely. big thing. Yeah. Um, cause not on the same scale, but yeah, it normalizes out and your day to day becomes not enough to, to satisfy you. So I think there's definitely a piece there about being able to, um, reflect on yourself as an individual not just uh what does the rest of the world think about what i'm doing yeah and i I think there's i've I've come to realize that um i've got this weird like philosophy of it where people we're encouraged as as a society to to work towards it's quite sad really and morbid but but we work towards retirement don't we so monday to friday nine to five we work jobs most of the time that people aren't particularly happy with in order to earn just enough money to pay a mortgage to get through with the realization that, that hopefully when you're 60 or well closer to 70 now you'll be able to retire and 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 you know and do what do what you want and i think that's kind of weird to you effectively your life is laid out before you for most yeah. of us and when you're and, young and have health in your body and yeah, stuff yeah, that's it, when it, you're working 12 days yeah. yeah and i and i i mean i i think that's kind of sad to one extent but two in contrast to that when people you know, come to London, get the job and or off with me when, you know, you're, you're suddenly earning more than your parents put together and you can buy your first house. Or or to ramp that up, Justin Bieber, who can have any car, any house, any girl or whatever he wants in the world. When when you when people achieve lifelong goals when they're twenty, what is the point of the rest of it? Yeah. You shouldn't as humans, we've trained ourselves to to never believe we will actually achieve what we want we are we're sold a promise that is never achievable do you know what i mean you're, you're never meant to to conquer the world There's and no have all the money line. we're not trying to and complete it's re- and it's really it's yeah, really yeah, yeah. sad because because then you get to like 70 or 80 and the average person's like well what have i really yes children is what i've achieved and that's lovely but when you have as you say for me happiness and success and satisfaction it can't be materialistic because that doesn't equal happiness because money you can never earn enough money and you don't there's always more to be made you, yeah you know ne- exactly you never climb to the top of that ladder you, you never you never won and you're never satisfied so i think we have to seek satisfaction through other means and that's why now like i seek happiness but like i walked here today instead of yeah. getting an uber and for me that's happiness yeah. um and and it's it's just bizarre and i think as as a as a society we have to maybe refigure how we have been encouraged to live our lives and strive to do things that are positive instead of you know like pushing pencils every day to earn a set of money to then do something on a saturday night i think we need to sort of refigure out what we want to achieve in life as opposed to just working for 50 years you know and i think um i think you're so right and i think specifically within that there's a massive conversation for me around um the male ego i feel everywhere you look and it is getting better there is this male image that i'm supposed to achieve Mm. um wealth fame typically in the media it's this beautiful girl kind of strapped across my lap 
Um, I've Good got facial to have hair. Yeah, great facial hair. I think I've completed that one. To be fair. <laughs> I think we've got that. Um, and especially the body as well. You know, you've yeah, got absolutely. to have that amazing. Um, you've got to have that amazing physique, or you've kind of mm. failed as a dude. And the physique bit for me is the one that is newest. Because I think yeah. for generations, you can go back decades in cinema and TV and women have been really pushed by society to look a certain mm. way and behave a certain way. But for men, if you look at James Bond 40 years ago, he was not this mm. shredded, no, no, no. you know, dude. It's, it's a recent thing that men have got this pressure on them to look a certain way, yeah. eat a certain way, exercise at certain times. Um, and and how do you feel about that? What's been your experience with that um male celebrity image that you are kind of being pushed to be by mm. culture well i um i did a video on my instagram the other day um i've just discovered instagram tv which is that for some bizarre reason i i seem to post a lot on there yeah um and food for me has been an interesting one so coinciding with the musical journey literally exactly the same time i was really struggling with with well i say at the time i didn't know i was struggling but looking back, I had a quite a difficult journey with, with food and body image. And I think it stemmed from being age 16. Again, the, the, the guys that were popular in school were the tall athletic built guys that played rugby and they were all wearing Hollister Abercrombie and all that stuff. So then I was like, oh, what's that shop then? So I'll go there and then all the, the banners and stuff. And even the shopping bags have these muscly guys just coming Shredded out to see on them. Yeah. And I was looking at myself and I, I when I was younger than that, I was, quite underweight uh not underweight sorry I was overweight uh but then when I started growing upwards I kind of went the other way and I and I and I so I you know I got I got quite skinny and I and I was thinking right okay so success must be looking like these guys so I I would I'd order all these supplements and stuff and and have like loads of creatine and all and I go to the gym and 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 all I would eat Got to a point though with this first tour, and actually looking back, it was so, it's so crazy how hand in hand this problem with food was with, um, I suppose like my uh, well dissatisfaction with the band. Like it, 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 they're they're entwined because we'd be doing these shows, and I'd be feeling like all right, but not not too fussed about them. And then all I was eating was plain chicken breasts with cold tomato soup twice yeah. a day, and then in the morning I'd have um, protein powder with with porridge oats and water because because milk's too sugary or so I thought and all, and all that stuff. Um, and without realizing I was, I was literally starving myself and changing who I was and my skin was awful. I was a horrible person to be around. And, and it was because I was chasing this image of, you know, being muscly. And the irony was I was starving myself thinking I was going to get bigger. When the reality is obviously I just got skinnier and skinnier. And yeah, I had like a six pack. But that's because I was literally like, I had, I had 5% body fat when I was doing that but with like no muscle. So I was really, really, really skinny. Um, How weird is it that when you said you had 5% body fat, knowing what we're talking about, mm. a little thing went off in my head that was like, oh God, I'm jealous. But, but, like- but, but this, this is the thing. But you know what's interesting? I, I see fitness on par with, with money, meaning that you are never satisfied. I have a real issue with, with diets and dieting. I think yeah. we need to just have healthier lifestyles because with a diet, you're, you're, you know, you'll crash your calories and do nothing, you know, do loads of exercise for like six weeks and you might hit this, this weight that you want, but one that's really hard to, to have longevity with unless you literally don't eat ever again. Or on, on the other end of the spectrum, if you, if you want to get muscly, 
you'll get to what you deem is what you'll be satisfied with. And then you'll see someone else in the street and you'll be like, shit, their arms are bigger than mine. I want to do that. And it's a, it's a never ending circle. And I think that's the problem that us men face now, because we don't, again, you, you can never, you can never achieve the perfect physique. You will never feel fulfilled. No matter how many squats you do, you might think you look good every now and then, but you're never, you're always critiquing yourself. And I think when we add, negative connotations to things that we must do daily i.e eating yeah. the, the the last thing that i think we should be doing is waking up in the morning and thinking shit i have to have a black coffee and a banana and that's it as soon as you wake up and have that negative energy or the protein powder i don't think that's a way to live yeah. and i think something that takes over your life on on something that's you know really essential eating i i think that's quite scary and I don't know if that's something that, that we should be promoting. I know people say fitness is the key to everything. And yes, like exercise is great for your mental health and your body. I'm not saying we should all be obese, but there has to be a line and there isn't one. And social media has played a big part. And in that I think too. the two words that I've heard you use before, which are the most important, obsession is one of them and dieting is the other. Because mm. an obsession with food is typically associated with um, a negative lifestyle choice. Exactly, you know? yeah. But actually being um, maybe not obsessed but proactive about eating with your body and minds in consideration should be a really good thing so there is a point in in everybody where you do need to strike that balance mm. and I know that the other word dieting is something that you were super critical of recently because you yeah. feel like the word diet implies well restriction um, withdrawing yeah. yourself from society and actually you ostracize yourself because I was that person I don't know about you but I was that person that would say either one I can't go to something because I can't eat there or two I'd yeah. go and take like protein powder and I'd add it to something or I'd have like a salad under the yeah. table or or even you know like I'd 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 try something but then spit it out so like, no it's not worth it and it's yeah. like before you realize you're you're alienating yourself from your friendship group yeah and so many of us are doing that completely and I think um to stick on food uh just a minute longer when I was reading some articles and stuff ahead of this interview mm. about you, one thing that kept coming up was when you, so you were recently on um, I'm a Celebrity yeah. Game Out of Here, just back from the jungle. Yeah. Um, one of the things that kept coming up was this obsession with the media defining you as anorexic. Mm. And it was in headlines. It, was it frustrated me because I'm not. Yeah. Um, um, and that, that kept coming up in all the yeah. interviews. You were saying, I'm not anorexic. I've got a relationship with food. That is an ongoing yeah, yeah. Um, journey. Yeah, yeah. But it was like the media needed to have this word that they could go, anorexic, headline, click here, read now. Mm. Why do you think there is an obsession with labels like that? Why, why are young men and women, but in the context of yourself, young men being... Um, labeled like that and defined um, under a certain umbrella i think that papers like being divisive and they like writing you know sexy headlines and stuff and I, but i actually think that it's more serious and severe i mean look, anorexia is something that's really really a key issue that, that needs addressing and not very but, often discussed in the context of men no no exactly so so that, that that's a definitely valid point but what i would say is aside from anorexia for a second that there is millions of men that struggle similarly to, to me having negative relationships with food that that is is really severe too so i think that people do that i, th I think part of the issue is people still don't really understand that men have this issue so people that write in the headlines will just label well, let's put anorexia on that because that's what it is it's not but it's very it's it's still a really serious thing and i think within the context of male mental health in general we're, we're coming a, a long way in many areas but 
there's still so much left in the dark and I don't think people quite know how to to talk about it. So perhaps that's why they did it. But it did annoy me because one, it it belittles other people who have anorexia. Yeah. And two, that's not that's not what it is. It, it's something it's something separate, but I don't know. And I guess it, it oversimplifies the conversation because it means that anything you say exactly. after the fact yeah. is a justification ignoring the title that they've given you, which... Yeah, and it's kind of... I think you're right. I think that if, if they can label anorexia, then that's what it is. They can put it in a box and it's sorted and it's a condition when actually it's a hell of a lot more complicated than that yeah. because I because I don't understand it still. Um, Young man has complicated relationship with self isn't as attractive. No, no, exactly, as, yeah. exactly. So, yeah. Fair enough. Um, the next thing that I wanted to dive into was around this topic of toxic masculinity. And actually the reason that I invited you to be on the show was an Instagram TV video that you did around the topic of um, toxic masculinity. And one of the one of the stats that was the driving motivation for me to start this show was that male suicide is the single biggest killer of young men. But why do you think that is? Why is it that young men especially are killing themselves at such an alarming rate? Um, the video I did was after kind of Mike from Love Island um, sadly yeah. committed suicide. And I think there's there's different pressures on men now because as you were saying before, like the older James Bonds weren't like rips and or whatever um it was all about having like a, a daytona or something but now it's like you have to have like an eight pack and i think so there are different pressures that are being applied on men um so i don't know i'd love to it's, it's a shame because I'd, I'd love to see statistics from like 50 years ago to now um, but i just don't think we have them um but I, th- I think there's still definitely pressures when you when you you mentioned mike from love island there and that was a, a really um tragic incident but I also felt like it served as a bit of a watershed in the press and I wouldn't go as far as to say that reality tv has a responsibility for anybody but it certainly has a duty of care and I think that the pervasive nature of these shows where you debase a person down to what they look like in a bikini or a speedo definitely has an impact not just on the viewer but on the person on that show, because you're taking these ordinary people, you're putting them in this 15 minutes of fame limelight and then asking them to, um, I don't know, come to terms with that really quickly. And as you said, overnight success had your issues um, when fame kind of hit you. The same applies to, to the people who are on these shows. I guess my question is, what duty of care do you think reality TV has when it's a... A, a Joe Public guy who overnight becomes a national treasure. It's yeah, it's difficult because I mean the show. My experience with um, with ITV was really positive with the Jungle. Um, you know, we saw a psychologist before going in, and whenever we, if we needed to during the process, we could speak to someone, and we were offered free free appointments afterwards, follow up. So, so my personal experience was because you really are great. in the jungle. You know, you're not. Oh yeah, yeah. It's not like the cameras go off and you get up to Hilton. Yeah. No, 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 no. Um, and it, it it was really tough. And actually, that for me was was a really strong, uh, well, realization that because you know going in, I thought that I was kind of all right with myself because yeah. I've done so many of things like this, speaking about mental health before yeah. before going in. But actually, I learned even more about myself and realized actually being within your own company isolated in your own company is really really bizarre we're so used to being stimulated by by other people or your phone or instagram but when you take that away and you're 
you're living, you know, the core essence of what it means to be human, you yeah. know, collecting water, eating food, having conversation is really difficult. Yeah. Um, and people won't really appreciate that unless you do a show like that. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest issue with these, with these shows is perhaps not the, the contestants or the production, but the public, because I feel that social media has kind of encouraged us to believe that we can all have a say on something. And we're all almost like judge, jury, executioner. We, we're encouraged to, to see someone it's almost like they're on scales and you, you have to evaluate do you like them yes or no and if you don't you say the worst stuff possible to them and then if you do you propel them but people are always out i think when you're watching these show you want to see you as a you know loose term. people want to see people fail cry be miserable argue they they love jeopardy that that's always something that's thrown around in the jungle like we were joking oh the producers will want jeopardy, jeopardy. yeah Jeopardy. And and when you encourage that negativity upon an individual, it's I think it's very easy for us to forget that these people on these shows are real people. They are humans. And and you know you factor that in with social media, giving everyone a voice. Not only do, do they have a voice, but we are led to believe that we have an entitlement to vocal an opinion on any given subject if we so wish. I think that's a recipe for disaster on someone's mental health because. One of the things that I was very, very lucky with my jungle experience, I came out and everyone was really positive. But it must be absolutely awful to go into that show because uh, to go into that show and then coming out and everyone's hating you. And, yeah. you know, like the Love Island um, like thing, like this recent series, you know, it's like two months that you're away and you go in. I, not that it makes, it's not like value to me, but you go in with like 100 followers, come up with like 2 million. And that that transition into like stardom, loose time of stardom there, um, is, well, it's is crazy. It? Yeah. Celebrity status is crazy. Yeah. And especially if some of the girls on there, I suppose, and guys, but you're solely being judged on your body yeah. and you're like sex appeal. That's really weird. Um, and it's the narrative that gets created. And I think with Mike, I believe he was titled Moggy Mike yeah, yeah. on the show. And then he, he comes out of the villa, hits the real world again, real world in inverted mm. commas. And he's come out to this uh, narrative that's been created mm. about him by people he doesn't know. Yeah, that he didn't really have a say in because with those... Sh- I don't know what happens to Love Island. It, you know, it might, no idea. It, it might not be that. But these shows are curated to get a desired outcome. So you're... It's entertainment. That's yeah, the purpose yeah, of the show. exactly. And, and people are, you know, um, sort of forced to, to spend time with certain people and whatever. And, and for him, he was probably like, yeah, whatever, like, I don't mind, but... Those shows, it's very easy to forget the cameras are there and that people are watching. And, like, you know, in that isolated incident, if it was like a group of friends and that stuff was going on, yeah, it might be like a, a bit of like gossip or something. But when it's propelled onto like the world stage, yeah, it, that, that, sc- that level of scrutiny from millions of people, it, it, it's crazy. And I think that we all feel that we have an entitlement over people. So A bit of ownership just because they've put themselves in yeah, the public and, space. And, and when you watch something every, every night, um, for, for three months you don't see them as people you see them as little things on the TV almost yeah. like an item like, yeah. do you know what I mean so then when you see them in public pick them up put them down yeah it's yeah. exactly like that um, but but I think I think there's another point to that like aside from the TV like social media we often forget that it is a highlight reel of people's life and it's I, I like to say that an Instagram account is like a natural selection process of oneself where they'll only pick the absolute best part. I, I, I can sit here and talk about, you know, having acne for 15 years or not being happy with my body, but I'll still only post a picture that I'm happy with. Yeah. Why is that? Like Completely. why? And, and it's that. And I think Instagram is, 
I mean, look, it's it's really helped our career, but it's lethal because you your pictures are the amount of likes you get, whether you like that or not, that is like a validation again, yeah. what you're saying. And if you only get, I mean, for me, like this is going to sound very arrogant, but if I get 30,000 likes on a picture, that's like a fail in me. I'm like, fuck. What right, did I do I wrong? might delete it. What Why don't done? people love this image? Uh, you know, if I don't get 100,000 views on a video, I'm like, oh, is what I've said is shit. Like, Who cares? And, yeah. and, and, and it's really, really crazy me saying that now because I know how stupid that is. But social media has this amazing way of worming itself into your brain, making you think that this is the be-all and end-all. And Kirsty, my fiance, will say to me, James, why are you, you are living for social media? Like, I, I, this is, this is why it's great. I always say to people that social media should enhance your life. Your life shouldn't enhance social media, if you see what I mean. So you should be living and your life is great and then you know like you might take a picture of like of that and it's great but when it's the other way around where you are trying to live so then you can put something on social media that that's like a that's like a horrible place to be so it's difficult because there is a pressure obviously especially on people like reality stars that come out and you know they might be like nice people but they're like when you try and like say what their talent is it's just a persona so for them, their interaction on social media is how they're going to make money. So they live and die by, by you know, the likes have on Instagram. And I think that's a really weird thing. I don't really like that because I'm very lucky that underneath that, like, I'm a musician and, like, the band is what There's a crowd. ultimately, like, make, makes the money for us and, and whatever. And that's what we do. Yeah, as you say, craft. If, uh, yeah. Um, the... Last kind of bit I wanted to chat about was um, some kind of wider conversations. And I think mm-hmm. that hopefully on a happy note, do you think generationally we're on the right track here? Do you think that young men's tomorrows look brighter than their yesterdays? Uh, absolutely. I think that there's a, that the more people that we can save from, from committing suicide, that, that's a positive. And I think yeah. that we're just being, being more vocal is the key to success with, with it all, you know, with, with bullying. I do a lot of work with, Diana Award and like the, the first and foremost advice that we offer is to you know be open and verbalize yeah. the struggle that you're going through and it takes the responsibility away absolutely from, it yeah. lightens the load and I think that a community that that discusses these things more is a community that I want to live in so I would I, I would love for in a hundred years time for that statistic of male suicide to, well to not be the biggest killer um of men and I, I think we're going in that direction i think the past couple of years has been great and the fact we're doing this now yeah. you know like this this wouldn't have happened 10 years ago no um it and, definitely not no and and i wouldn't have done sky news speaking about an eating disorder like uh, as a guy i think it, it is changing slowly um i think there's still a way to go but i i think we are we are definitely getting there and it takes people you know, big burly rugby players to come out or like models to come out and be like, no, actually, look, the, these are real issues. Um, that's what we need more of. And it's great that people are doing that. And I think as well that um, I'm super conscious as well of how much bigger the problem is than just me because I worked in a very creative industry and continue to work in a creative industry. You likewise. Um, and I'm in a happy, healthy relationship with my wife and you're engaged and stuff. Happy, happy houses. And even then, I still trip over this idea of what it means to be a man. And sometimes I do find it tough to vocalize my emotions and have a cry or whatever it is, or, or phone up a friend and say, yeah. I'm not feeling great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's me coming from a super privileged background and a healthy, happy home. Not everybody has that, um, that support structure in place. So there's, there's this, there's this whole plethora of men who actually are 
struggling even more than we would yeah. um, to kind of chat about the problems. And I think it's when it becomes normalized to a point where the, the every man feels that they can chat about it, mm. we're going to be in a better place. Absolutely. Um, but I think, I think that the thing to, to take from it though, is that men um, vocalizing their emotions will actually increase the chances of there being a genuine gender equality because yeah. toxic masculinity <laughs> is having massive you know, um, consequences to, to women, clearly. Completely. Enormous. And I think once we've addressed, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, the ball's completely in our court. Absolutely, you know, that's quite arrogant of us to say, but we can help, you know, both men and women by addressing these issues. Yeah. And that's something that I'm, you know, Kirsty has said to me from the off, you know, the amount of times that she gets like yelled at out of a white van by like a group of builders or something. It's just a bizarre, like, uncomfortable feeling that, that maybe they're bottling up like how they feel and and that's how they are trying to i guess like shadow that 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 insecurity so i think once we have addressed those issues yeah, it's a learned behavior you know, yeah, exactly exactly yeah. It's kids don't do that just, yeah exactly so um yeah i think it's a it's, it would be a positive step for both men and women for us to you know, figure out how we feel and I think we'll, we're going to wrap up there, but I do have one final question, yeah. which may become known as Cliché Corner, because it's a super cliché. Um, what would you have said to your younger self, 18-year-old James, who's about to kick off on this um, this journey? What What's the piece of advice or, or mantra that you would have said? Um, it's so it's so difficult because there are there are a lot of different... Um, Different thing. I think it kind of would play into how I've been with mental health, but be say yes to, to things more because, which sounds is kind of not necessarily relevant to, to what we've been speaking about, but things like where the guys would go out and be like, let's have some drinks. And I'd be like, no, we can't because we've got a gig the next day. Yeah. And what I hadn't realized is I was already cutting myself off from them, which meant when I had issues with my mental health, I didn't feel like I could communicate with other people. Be an active participant in your an life. An active participant and um, being around people is yeah. is the key to communication. I think that's what social media is trying. It's hardest to kill. It's that one-on-one pers- person, you know, personal connection. Which you cannot replicate. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, James, thanks so much for coming down today. Cheers, it's been mate. a pleasure catching up. Thanks. Um, and best of luck on your tour, kicking off very soon. Yeah, yeah, this month. So there we go. Fantastic. <laughs> okay, great. Cheers, mate. Cheers very much. You've been listening to James McVeigh on XY with me, Ewan Plater. Just a brief caveat, me and James caught up before he went on tour. So when he says that it starts next month, that's actually been gone, sadly. You missed your chance. If you are enjoying the show, please do go rate and review us. Make sure to hit subscribe and follow so you get notified when new episodes come out. That's all we've got for you this week, but I can't wait to have you back next Thursday. Bye for now.